All right, we're going to try something different today, and uh, I don't know how this is going to work. Uh, we're going to do some discussions in the book of Matthew, the way we do the book of Jonah on uh, Yom Kippur. That is, we're going to read some sections, then we're going to have an open discussion. What we're going to do is we're going to allow the tape to run while we're reading, and while I make a few brief comments, then we'll stop for a Q&A on that section, discussion on that. Then we'll start the tape again, read the next section, and go that way. Now, I've set it up to today, try to do all the way through the baptism of Jesus, because we've just gone through most of that. Not sure there will be a lot of discussion. But starting next time, we'll be looking at the temptation of Christ. Then we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. At those times, I think we'll begin to... Uh, pace at different speeds, and so we'll just kind of take that as we do. Now, I want to uh, say a couple of things about this. In the book of Ezra, we're told that they built a wooden pulpit, they brought out the scriptures, they read them, and then they, they spoke of what they meant. And of course, that's the standard approach of our sermons, where we read the text and then someone expounds on it. Uh, if you read the Gospels and you read a lot of uh, the book of Acts, there's a lot of discussions and questioning. So years and years ago, I started doing Q&A on Wednesday nights. And Wednesday nights would be when people could bring their questions. It worked very well in a couple of ways. People could ask anything they wanted, even about the sermons. And they could ask about things that were going on in their life. And they could also, uh, in some sense give me an indication of where they were. So I got feedback while that was going on. Then, of course, when we got here, we did that for a long time till it wasn't working too well with all the kids and tried to do it online. That, that wasn't uh, working. So we moved Q&A to the end of the sermon uh, time. Um, and I think that's been working well, too. So I don't want to stop doing that. But I wanted to see what would happen if we followed that pattern like we do with the book of Jonah, uh, in the book of Jonah, as you recall, we read a chapter, then we discuss it. Uh, we, we may make through chapters, multiple chapters, or just sections of the chapters. So, in some sense, we need to be careful about the chapters and verses. They were added later. And we really want to be careful about the uh, little headings, like you'll see on Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, and then down at verse 18, conception and birth of Jesus. Those kinds of things were added to biblical texts and lectionaries over time. Some of them are helpful. Some of them are not that helpful. So we'll give it a chance. Now, you have the option of staying where you are or moving up again during the Q&A we're going to stop the recording. So that means that all that people will get is the reading and the, uh, uh, the comments that, that, that I make. So we're going to begin this with uh, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start with the first 17 verses. I'm going to go ahead and read that. If any of you want to read sections, you're welcome to do that. Uh, but I thought today I might just read them so we can kind of move through it quicker and sometimes people who haven't had a chance to look at the words of reading get a little nervous. So if you want to wait till next time when we do the temptation, that's fine. So we begin with Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 17. 
the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel became the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elud. Elud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now... What I want you to notice, aren't you glad you didn't read this one, right? Um, I want you to notice the three verses that I think are critical here. First one is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's a focus here on Abraham and David. It then begins with Abraham and goes to uh Josiah, who's the father of Jeconiah, verse 11, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And then it talks about after Babylon coming back in. Uh, So it goes from Abraham to David and from David, in a sense, to this um, uh, deportation. And then it ends with the the, um, birth of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, you'll notice in the New American Standard that it says Messiah and not Christ. In most Bibles, it says Christ. The Greek word here is Christos. That word is the word translated for Mashiach. And that both those words mean the anointed one or the smeared one. The idea of one being anointed, you can be anointed as a priest. You can be anointed as a prophet. You can be anointed as a king. And so here we have both the Abrahamic idea and the idea of David. Now what's critical is looking at the last verse uh, of this section, verse 17. The generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation, 14 generations. 
and from the deportation to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, this number 14 is a number that is the numeric number of the name of David. And so, the focus of the genealogy is Messiah, son of David, and son of Abraham. Which means this is very much Jewish territory that we are on. It's very important that we try to keep our mindset on the focus of Matthew's Gospel being a statement to Israel. Our tendency is going to be to try to say, how do these verses apply to us? We should not go there until we ask, how do they apply to Israel in that sense? So at this point, I'm going to ask uh, the tape to be paused. And if you've got something on these first 17 uh, verses that you want to talk about, we will do that. So we'll start the tape. That was a good discussion, so uh, sorry the people on the tape missed it, but that's the way it is, right? Uh, Now, uh, verse 18 is going to bring us to the end of the chapter. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, now now the New American Standards using Christ, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Yeshua, or Jesus, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the Lord, uh, through the prophet. Uh, Behold, uh, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us, or God is for us. Joseph awoke from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and, she, and he called his name Jesus. Now, this section is really important, and this was my introduction to the NASB. I was invited specifically to come to the translation team when they were doing the update in 95 because of verse 18. Uh, And when I came in, I thought that's all I was going to do. I was just going to talk about this one thing in this one verse. And after talking with this translation committee, many of whom I knew from their reputations and their books and all of that, uh, I finally convinced them uh, they changed this verse. And then I was leaving when I found out that I was being retained to continue with the project and continue to this day uh, with the Lockman Foundation. It says that uh, most Bibles say, now the birth of Jesus Christ was this way, when his mother, who was engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now this has led to all kinds of things, such as Jesus was born by a single mom, an unwed mom, all kinds of, none of that is true. 
Mary and Joseph were husband and wife. Judaism, and you guys know this, Judaism had a system of betrothal where the couple came together and made their vows to God. That made them husband and wife. The wife would then go back to her father's house, preparing herself as a bride without spot and without wrinkle, that kind of language. And the man would go to prepare the place for them to live. And that context then would be, she's waiting for her bridegroom to come. They're married. He would then come and take her or receive her to himself. And then they would come together sexually. But if one of them died in this separation at the first part, they, had, they were a widow. And if they broke that up, they had to get a divorce. So there's no way this is an engagement or Mary is an unwed mother. What's going on here is they are betrothed. God is going to uh, incarnate his son in Mary. And Joseph doesn't know what's going on. Mary's pregnant. He's going to divorce her privately to not make a big scandal out of it. And God says, take her as your wife now. So they came together, but the scripture is clear that he left her a virgin. There was no sexual union until after the firstborn was done. So we have here the essence of the incarnation and the virgin birth that's going on here. Notice Joseph is called son of David. Because again, his, his, his father in this earthly family sense is Joseph. And he's of the tribe of David as well. His name Jesus is uh, Joshua or Yeshua. Which means that the Lord, the name, it begins that holy name that isn't pronounced. With the uh, Yah sound. And then saves. The Lord saves. You will call him the Lord saves. Or salvation. That's what the word Yeshua means. Salvation. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now the focal point of this. His people is Israel. Okay. This group that's in diaspora, this group that's come back, this group that's oppressed by Rome, he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew then gives us a connection to uh, um, Isaiah where the house of Judah was told to ask for a sign. And he said, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And he said, don't try my patience. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, what is going on in Isaiah is they're worried about two kings. And the prophecy in Isaiah says, uh, there is a child that's going to be born. From a, it'll be a firstborn child. And uh, uses the word virgin there. Uh, she will conceive. She will bear a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. And before he's old enough to know good or evil, in other words, before he's five or six years old, these two kings will be done away with. Matthew looks at that kid. If that kid is proof that God keeps his word to Israel, what do you call this Jesus? But he is the fulfillment of the idea of Emmanuel that God is with us. 
So now, in case you're wondering, uh, the reason it's spelled with an E in in the Old Testament and an I in the New Testament is because it's being translated from the Hebrew in the Old Testament and the Greek in the New Testament. So Emmanuel with an E or Emmanuel with an I is the same word, just a linguistic difference. So we're going to cut off the uh, tape here. All right, so we're picking up at chapter 2. We're probably not going to make it all the way through today, but this is going well, so I think this is a good way for us to get through Matthew. So... Uh, chapter 2, uh, we're going to get the first 12 verses. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, gathering together the chief priests, scribes, and the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. All right, so we have the famous uh, story. Uh, Let me just say the reason that it's believed three kings, the tradition is three kings, because there are three gifts. It's not a necessary conclusion. And there may, these people wouldn't have traveled just three of them. So there probably was an entourage. And there, were, there, was, there was like a caravan that was, that was going there. The interesting thing here is that they see the star. And then they lose track of it. Whether the star led them somewhere or the star was simply there. They knew it was there and the obvious place to go is Jerusalem. We don't, we don't really know. But they get to Jerusalem and now they're asking, so where, where's this king of the Jews? Now it's interesting to me that Herod's got to ask the chief priests and the scribes where this is going to happen. He's the king of the Jews, but he's not very knowledgeable about the scriptures and the prophets. And they all do their Bible drill and say it's going to be in Bethlehem of Judea, right? So this is the city of David. This is uh, Judea, the tribe of Judah. We're getting all this Jewish symbolism that's here. And so Herod says, when you see this kid, you know, when did you see the star? So how old is this kid? And uh, 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 tell me as well, right? And when they leave, they see the star. And this, they, it says they followed the star until it, and the text is clear, it stopped over the house where, they, where he was. This is not an astrological sign. This is something similar to the pillar of fire 
that led them. There may have been an astrological sign about the star, but then this thing actually is moving and it stops over a place. That's, that's, that's not astronomy in, uh, in that sense. Um, so uh, we're going to see in a little bit, uh, the next part, uh, that Herod's going to try to go after the kids that are two. And the reason for that is that children are born at one in Jewish thinking. Because you're, you start at conception. So you're almost a year old, and they didn't have the full nine months totally worked out. So that first year, you're in your mother's womb, and the second year, you're here, right? We don't. We start you at zero. They started at one, right? So it would anybody in the last year would have been killed. Um, what's fascinating here is that God warns them. He lets them go to Herod. He doesn't stop them from going to Herod. In fact, he kind of sets it up so that Herod will now know. And then he warns them to get out. Don't go back to Herod uh, because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want you telling them stuff, right? So they go a different way. So we don't know exactly who the Magi are. There are some who think that they are Gentiles and others who think they are part of the diaspora coming from Babylon uh, and coming back in uh, because of Daniel and other things. I'm going to leave that alone. I have no actual opinion on that because both arguments sound good to me or plausible to me, and neither one tips the scale uh, for my use. So we're going to shut the pause. All right, we're going to pick it up now at verse 13. I think we'll make it today just through this uh, two chapters, and then we'll pick up next time. Now, when they had gone, that's the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search out the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and killed all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Remember that idea when they saw the star. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, not a good place to be, he was afraid to go there. Being warned by God in a dream, he left to go to the north regions of Galilee and came and lived in the city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, the context here is we're being given by Matthew that understanding that this is a Moses-like figure. Moses 
was in, uh, when he was born, this deliverer who's going to come. There was a death of all the children in that same way. We also have the moving to Egypt, which is Abraham. So we're beginning to get myriads of strings pulling together to kind of shine these lights on this person to say, this is really important stuff coming. It's beginning to fulfill a myriad of statements that are found in the scriptures. Uh, You recall that Rachel dies on the road to Bethlehem uh, and then the children are dying. This idea of of, uh, of not being comforted. Um, We have Jesus going into the um, Egypt and then coming out just like Israel did. So he really is kind of a fulfillment of all Israel in that sense. And then the final thing here is that they end up in Galilee, um, which is prophesied. And this interesting thing that he shall be called a Nazarene. It's a little play on words here. Nazareth and Nazarene. Nazareth is the city that, the little town that, the village that Mary was from. So they go to stay with that side of the family because Judah is not safe. And um, uh, he's called a Nazarene. Now, if you know the Nazareth, Nazarite vow and the, uh, the Nazareth thing, there's a little play here to give you the idea of one who is fully and completely dedicated to the Lord, uh, which is clearly what Jesus is in that context. So what it does now is it sets us up for this one named Jesus to come into his earthly ministry, which is going to begin at his baptism, which we talked about last week, uh, so we don't actually need to talk about it here, but we'll pick that up when we do the last one. So we're going to shut the... uh, Thank you.